Also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever." Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Thanks, Anna. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to that section. It's John 14. John 14, that was 12 through 27. That's where we're going to kind of be today. We're not going to go directly through it like normal, but we're just going to point, I'm going to point a few things out to you. Um, and there's so many verses, just little pieces in that section that we could, you know, pull out and probably do like multiple sermons on, right? Uh, you know, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. I mean, man, what beauty in that text alone. Uh, but then, you know, we have to deal with whoever keeps, whoever loves me keeps my commandments. Ah, I wish Jesus wouldn't have said that, right? Because I don't always keep his commandments, and that one kind of leans on me. And so if you remember back to last weekend, uh, we saw from the beginning of this chapter that Jesus told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them. He was going to prepare a place for them, and then he would be with them in that place forever, right? My father's house has many rooms. Maybe you're like me, a 90s kid who grew up in church. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. Nobody? Big, big table, lots and lots of food. 
Big yard, we can play football. No? All right. All right. Well, that was awkward. So we saw that um, Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place for them. They'll live forever with him. And uh, we saw that this is like a train of logic, so to speak, that Jesus is laying out to them in order to bring comfort to them because he sees that their hearts are troubled. We, we see some of that again today. Jesus knew uh, that, that a growing awareness of the reality that he is preparing a place just for each one of us. And we talked about this a little bit last week. Like, what is your place with Jesus look like? Because remember, he knows you better than anybody else, and he loves you, right? So what's going to be in that room? In Miss Barb's room, is definitely going to be Patriot stuff, right? New England Patriots, probably. He's going to decorate it just how you like it. And, and so for each one of us, that's, I just think that's a fun mental exercise. Well, how well does Jesus know me and love me? What would be in that place that he's going to prepare for me. Now, obviously, it's more than that, but that's just a good way to, to kind of bring yourself to, to think on the love that he has for you and the care that he has for you. And so he knows that a growing awareness of this reality that he's going to prepare this is going to be um, a way for us to, to fight the troubling world that is weighing down on our hearts and in the disciples' hearts. And so from there, we see that there's these questions from a couple of the disciples in, in that chapter in John, which lead Jesus then to begin to teach now about the Holy Spirit, okay? So if you're like me, maybe you... you uh, now, I don't come as a child from the Alliance. I come from another tradition where we, we, the Holy Spirit was a person, and, and he's God, but he's kind of like, we treated him kind of like, uh, you know that family member at Thanksgiving that kind of sits in the corner of the table, like they're in the family, but well, we don't really talk about them that much. That's kind of the way that I had viewed the Holy Spirit. But, but that's not the way that Jesus speaks of him here. And so Jesus begins to teach. Now, I want to point the, a couple things out. Look at verse 1, and then at verse 27 of chapter 14. And look at what you notice. In both verses, we see the same phrase from Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. And so if you remember back to last weekend, you remember that this is a command, right? This is kind of an imperative, yes, but the tone of it is more of a gentle in invitation, an exhortation, maybe would be a good word. And so last week we saw that the way to non-troubled hearts was, why believe, was by believing in Jesus and growing in your uh, belief and understanding that he is going to return one day. He's gone to prepare a place. He's going to return. And, and, the, and the part of it that matters, not what he's, he is preparing a place for us, but the big key is that he's bringing us to be with him. That heaven is not so much about escaping here and being somewhere. It's about being in the presence of Jesus. That's what heaven is about. And so Jesus then begins to teach a little bit on this one he calls the helper, uh, the Holy Spirit, and his ministry to us and in us and maybe even through us. And this is how we find calm confidence in this troubled world that I think that God intends for his believers to have. This is what God wants for you. He doesn't tell you he's going to uh, you know, take you out of every trouble. No, Jesus doesn't say that, right? He says, you're going to have trouble in this world, but what? Take heart because I've overcome the world and I'm in you. So we're going to go a little bit out of order from the exact order of the text, but I, I just want to invite you to kind of come with me, hang with me in there. So let's start in verse 16. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper, another helper to be with you forever. Okay. So I just want to pause here and make a case to you as to why taking time, being careful, and using tools in your own personal Bible study, which, yes, as your pastor, I'm assuming that we do, right? 
using tools in your Bible study is really important, right? But also, I want to just tell you, it, it's not that it's just important, but it makes the Bible come to life. It makes the Bible, you go, oh my gosh, I didn't even see that. I was just talking to Bob about this before our service started, what I'm about to show you, that if you don't use tools, you're not going to know this. You're just going to read the Bible and miss so much stuff that's in there. So there are resources that are called Bible dictionaries, sometimes expository dictionaries that you can get. Uh, these are books usually, but you know it's 2021, so they're online as well. And what these tools do is to let you look at a specific word in a specific text uh, and see the meaning in the original language of that word. Okay? Really important. So there are times like this text where knowing the original meaning of a word that seems otherwise insignificant uh, really can make a difference because it can actually change or color kind of the entire section of text that it comes from. And, and that's really what we have going on here. Okay? So let me just recommend a couple free resources to you. Uh, and then uh, you, you'll have the tools to kind of do what I'm about to show you on your own, which is the goal. The goal is for you to do this on your own and be able to dive into God's word. Um, BibleGateway.com, BlueLetterBible.org. Two free resources, really easy to use, really built well. You can use them on your phones, and they'll allow you to do the kind of word study I'm talking about here, right? You can pick from the menu Bible Dictionary, Expository Dictionary, and do exactly what I'm showing you to do. So let me just dig into this little language uh, here. So if you look at the phrase, another helper, in verse 16... Uh, you're going to see what I'm getting at here. There's two different Greek words that can be translated as the word another in that phrase, another helper. Jesus is going to send another helper. Those two words are alos and heteros, okay? Heteros means another of a different kind, while alos, which is the word that's used here in this text in John, means another of the same kind, okay? Now, this might seem subtle or meaningless, but it actually makes a big difference. Okay, so in the seats, you guys, in your seats, if you're in the room, if you're not in the room, you're going to have to just hang with us. You should see either a crayon or a marker. Okay, if you've got a crayon, hold it up. I know, we're not used to this, like, interactive stuff, right? If you've got a crayon, hold it If you've got a marker, hold it up. Where's my marker, people? Okay. Okay, so... If you have a, a marker or, or a crayon, this is kind of a helpful illustration. And I know we could go down a, a whole road of philosophy and Plato and Aristotle, and there's a whole bunch of what's essence and all that. But for the sake of this morning, um, those of you who are all holding crayons are holding another of the same kind. And, and the same thing with markers. But if you hold up a crayon and a marker, it's another of a different kind, Okay. Another way to illustrate this would be like different kinds of, uh, let's say, heirloom tomatoes. It's another of the same kind. And, and that's the language that's used here. Not heteros, which is another of a different kind, but alos, which is another of the same kind. Okay? So the word Jesus used to describe the coming helper is alos, which means another helper just like him. Okay? As the creed might say of one being, of one essence. And we, we get into some word trouble there because language can't quite get us there. So remember the situation here. Remember what Jesus is doing in this moment. He's comforting his disciples by assuring them that they don't need to be fearful of his leaving. Why? Because the helper or the counselor that he's going to send is another just like him. It's of the same kind as him. So there's going to be no loss for them in this exchange. 
That's what's really important to know. And that's why that word matters. There's no loss of what the disciples have in this exchange of Jesus for the helper, the Holy Spirit. They're so similar, in fact, that in Romans 8, verse 9, the Apostle Paul calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. Okay? So maybe like me, you've had times in your life, maybe like this morning or something, or this last week, where you just wish, like, I just wish Jesus, I could sit down face to face with you. I don't know if you guys uh, uh, have ever seen it, but on, a lot of times on social media, I'll see these little comics that say, like, Coffee with Jesus. And in those comics, Jesus is kind of snarky and sarcastic, which is how I imagine him, because I'm kind of snarky and sarcastic, but that's a whole other thing. But it's this idea that we sit and have coffee with Jesus and speak face-to-face with him, right? And a lot of times we wish, like, man, I wish I could do that. I wish I could just talk to Jesus, get his uh, feedback on my life, and tell him what's going on, and see his his facial, you know, reactions and just be with him. And maybe you've thought about like, what would I say to Jesus? How would he speak back to me those loving words of assurance that I just need to hear them sometimes in those moments, right? But, but here's the thing, and this is really a mind-blowing reality once we, once we kind of let our soul get into it. If we're willing to, to push past and hear me carefully here, to push past our modernistic sensibilities that limit us from believing this kind of reality, the logic of Jesus' words here, and this text tells us that having the helper, the Holy Spirit, is the same as having Jesus physically accessible to us. But actually, it's even better. It's even better, right? So think about it. Imagine Jesus is still physically here. Well, he can only be in one place at one time then. If he's still in his state of humanity, right? So, so he's in Jerusalem. You're going to get a plane to Jerusalem? I don't think so. They're going to be pretty booked up, right? Hey, even if you could get there, you couldn't get within miles of him. There would be crowds surrounding him. I mean, that's what we saw in the New Testament, and that was before Twitter and cable news, so imagine you would have no access to Jesus, right? We'd come to see him, but it would be impossible to get within eyesight of him, let alone face-to-face sit down with him. But what we have, Christians, what you have, is access to, as Paul says, the Spirit of Christ, this helper, right now and always. He is in you. He's at your side. He is with you. He indwells us as Christians. So even better, not only is the Holy Spirit just like Jesus, he is another of the same kind, but his function is to be our counselor, our helper, our comforter. The the Greek word used here is paraclete. Maybe you knew that already, but it's often used to mean somebody who is a legal counsel in court who argues the case and stands in someone's place. Right, the, the song that we sang to close our musical worship today uh, originally was titled The Advocate because that's what the song is about. And I would encourage you, if you've never read the story of that song, it's an incredible story. But the idea of, of advocacy as used here in this text always contains this idea of encouragement, one who's going to encourage you and take on your responsibility. So we see... In this section of John, Jesus embodying what the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer, right? At all the places where Jesus speaks those words of comfort and strength in this section of John are of the same kind, 
right? Alos, as what the Holy Spirit does even now in the life of a Christian. This is why knowing these words really can help us. And so the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians that he had been disheartened, but quote, that God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. And so now we see an example of a person who is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, embodying the Spirit of Christ to another person in the New Testament. Right, we see a picture of this kind of helper. Right, what's the idea that Paul is conveying here? We get the idea that Titus sees Paul and says, "How you doing, Paul?" Puts his arm around him uh, and it says, "Paul, can, can we pray together? Can, can I encourage you?" Right, and so Titus prays with Paul. He listens to Paul. He reminds Paul of who he is and and what God has called him to do. Share some scriptures, probably some psalms. Right, and, and pretty soon Paul is ready to get back at living on mission. And so this is a picture, another picture of what the Holy Spirit does in us and and through us. He is this advocate who comes alongside the Holy Spirit. The Latin word advocatus uh, is the word from which we get our English word advocate, obviously, which is used in some translations. But in some translations, it says counselor or even comforter. Those are good words. If you've ever seen it, the Knox translation does a really helpful job here. It says, another friend for you. That Jesus says, I'm going to send another friend for you of the same kind. To know that the very spirit of Christ, his very spirit, and yet somehow in the mystery of the Trinity, another person in the Godhead is with us and is in us and is there for us. To, To know that, To know that this spirit, according to Jesus himself, is actually better for us than if Jesus were actually physically here. Now, that's a hard one for us to believe. I struggle to believe that, that the Holy Spirit indwelling me is actually better for me than Jesus being with me. But that's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus taught. Let's keep going. 16 into 17. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So not only does the Holy Spirit come alongside of us, but that last phrase that Jesus says, he, he the Holy Spirit will be in you. Now this is getting us close to an idea that Jesus is going to get to in the next couple chapters, and that is that the Holy Spirit here, and Jesus is going to say that we should do this, is abiding in us. It's a good Bible word, abiding in us. It's a really important idea, and we're we're getting close to the famous text on this, but if you look at verse 23 here in chapter 14, Jesus expands, he, he takes that concept and expands it when he answers the other Judas, not Iscariot. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. We will come to him and make our home with him. So God the Father and God the Son also somehow reside within us, right? And I know that we're not supposed to let things be a mystery, but this is God is mysterious with this. We, 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 ha- we can articulate the concepts, yes, but we don't fully grasp them. So when we sang earlier today that, oh God, you are a mystery, this is a huge part of that mystery that we're acknowledging. The, the reality is that we don't know everything. And it's good for us to remember that we don't know everything. Right? We don't know everything. We don't know everything about any one subject, let alone everything about everything. 
And it's good for us to remember. In fact, I want to just say that overconfidence in what we think we know is a huge part of the vitriol and the, and the hatred that we see uh, w- with which we speak to one another right now. I think that so often we are overconfident in what we do know. It would be just so good for us to just mix in a little bit. You know, I just don't know. A little humility and acknowledge that there's a lot about our existence that's mysterious. Now, I'm not an agnostic, right? I believe that God is knowable and I know him. So I don't think that God is unknowable. I just don't think that I can fully know everything about him and the nature of how he is three in one and dwells in me and Jesus is fully God and fully man. I affirm those things and I know God as a person because I pray to him and he speaks to me and he's with me. I know all of that. But those things is one of those mysteries where I have to just agree with other kinds of Christians in the world who might say something like, what a beautiful mystery, and just leave it at that. We don't have to figure out every little thing about God because he's God. Now, remember that at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus encouraged us to not be troubled. Why? Because his presence and his place that he's preparing and and our presence with him in his presence in that place are awaiting for us. But now what he's saying is, let not your heart be troubled because I'm making a place within you. Not only am I making a place for you, but I'm making a place in you, right? In fact, the word translated place in verse two and the word translated for home in verse 23 is the same word. It's the same word. So so think on that. Jesus is preparing a dwelling place for us, but he also is dwelling within us. One of the most encouraging realities about being a Christian and following this this thing we call Christianity where we follow Jesus is that the helper, the Holy Spirit, not only comes alongside of us, but he lives and dwells within us and empowers us from within. But so much of the indwelling comfort comes by way of the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us in the way that verse 17 says that he is the spirit of what? The spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. And so the spirit of truth indwelling us allows us to begin to understand who we are at an inner self kind of level and to see and understand something about the way the world works. And because of that, we're comforted. But the primary way that he is the spirit of truth and the primary way that he reminds us of these truths, which bring comfort to our troubled heart, is by reminding us of God's word. Look at verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will what? Teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now remember, Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. So everything that he said to them was rooted in the Jewish scriptures and came from the Father, as Jesus said. So don't sleep on that part. This is so important for us. Jesus just said that the helper, the Holy Spirit, is going to help you, bring comfort to you by bringing to your remembrance all that Jesus has said. But if you don't know what Jesus has said, how can he bring it to your remembrance? So knowing the word of Jesus, right? Also known as spending time in the Bible. It's like so basic, I kind of don't even want to have to say it, but it's, it's the reality. Spending time in the scriptures and memorizing them. 
Bible memory is such, scripture memory is such a vital tool. This is so vital. Not, and again, I think so often we hear this and we immediately go to legalism. Like, well, I have to do it because I have to obey. But obedience is about relationship. It's not about obedience for obedience sake. Like God commands you to do things because he knows they're good for you and they lead to you being in his presence more. So when God calls you to his word, yes, it's about obeying him, but because he knows that when you're in his word, it transforms you from one degree of glory to the next and you are comforted in your own soul. Look at verse 18, let's keep going. Jesus promises, I will not leave you as orphans. He literally is saying, I will not leave you fatherless. I will come to you. So he's speaking again about the Holy Spirit coming to bring comfort. This is maybe one of the most assuring biblical doctrines, the doctrine of adoption. And you guys know I've got a soft spot in my heart for this doctrine, right? It is absolutely true. And I want you to hear me say this, that the doctrine of justification is so central to our faith and our salvation, right? Like we, if we're not justified before God, then, then, then what are we doing here? But justification is married and tied hand in hand with the doctrine of adoption. God justifies you so he can adopt you. That's why it matters. And I want to argue to you that the doctrine of adoption is is just as important and beautiful as justification. And I would say for my own walk, when I think on a doctrine, the, the doctrine to think on that does the most good for my soul is the doctrine of adoption. Yes, think about God's justification for you and what it costs Jesus to justify you. But when you think on the doctrine of adoption, that he has given you legal rights as sons and daughters in his kingdom and heirs with Christ forever, that will do more for your soul, I think, than anything else. To separate these two doctrines makes no sense. To be justified by God is to be adopted by him. Right? To use the the courtroom metaphor when the judge bangs the gavel and says justified, at that very moment he also says, and you're my son now, you're my daughter now. And you can't change it. Uh, if you haven't read the book Knowing God, you got to read it. It's a great book. J.I. Packer. He says this in that book about this whole idea. He says, quote, you sum up the whole of New Testament teaching in a single phrase. If you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In the same way, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means that this person does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. This still seems to me wholly true and very important. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. And so if you call yourself a Christian, here is the reality for you. God is your father. 
That is the reality. Whatever your earthly father was like, good or bad, God is your father. You have been adopted by him. And according to the scriptures and even Jesus himself, as we see in our text today, the Christian life can only be fully understood in these terms. That, that as God loved his only begotten son, right? As he loved his only begotten son, he now loves you because you're adopted into the family. Th- this is what this doctrine means for those of us who believe in Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God. In John 16, 27, Jesus speaks this truth that, that is so pivotal to our faith and our, ident- and our identity over us and, and what we think of ourselves. Listen, to, d- just... This sentence alone changes the world. John 16, 27, the father himself loves you. Right? My, my father-in-law would always say, if you want to do theology 101, sing Jesus loves me. And it's the same here. The father himself loves you. We could do a whole series of, of sermons on the implications of what that means for, for our life. The father, God loves you. God had fellowship with Jesus And by virtue of our adoption into this family as sons and daughters, because of the work of Jesus and the filling of the Spirit, this same Father now has fellowship with us and loves us. 1 John 1.3 says this, And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So all the benefits that Jesus has that were given to Him by God, His Father, by virtue of our adoption and having the same Spirit of Christ are now for us as well. I mean, think about this. God has exalted Jesus, and we learn in Romans that that's what's going to happen to us as well. For those of us who believe, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So when Jesus in our text says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you, he's speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit to indwell us and comfort us and be with us as he's bringing to mind the reality of what we will later on in the New Testament know as the doctrine of adoption. So the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus helps us most often by keeping us aware of, even when we are not ready to acknowledge it, even when we try to deny it, that we are God's children by faith in Christ. And so in this way, the Holy Spirit who is a person, not an impersonal force, the Holy Spirit gives and builds up our faith and our joy and our peace in the midst of trouble in him. And on top of this, he prompts us, he he calls us to look to God, not as just king, yes, he is king, but as Timothy Keller says, do you know who has access to the king at 3 a.m. when they need water? His sons and his daughters, and that's who we are. This is what the Holy Spirit prompts us to think on, that that we are children of God, our Father. We have the kind of trust with God, our Father. That is the kind of trust that children who are in a secure, loving home uh, have. And so as we are reminded in Romans 8, it's the Holy Spirit by whom we cry what? Abba, Father. Right? Right? The equivalent of saying whatever your nickname for your dad is. Dad, pop, daddy, whatever that is. And I know it's, like I had a friend who used to pray daddy God and it was weird. I'm not gonna, it was strange. But that's, that's the level of relationship 
that we're talking about here. So I just want to wrap up with Jesus' words in verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now, you may notice, as we mentioned already, that these words are nearly identical to the ones that Jesus began this chapter with. But, but I want you to notice a difference in the verb tense here, uh, because a lot of what Jesus has said was future-oriented, right? He is going to prepare a place for us. We're going to be with him. All of that is in the future, but we can't miss what he says in verse 27. Look at the present tenseness, if you will, of this verse. Not only are there future realities that we hope in that bring peace to us now, but we also receive present benefits from Jesus that give us the power to deal with life in this broken world. And so we have the same power that, that Jesus exercised. In a sense, in an even greater way, right? Because we're not Jesus. We're just regular old us. But we're filled with the Spirit, and so now we can do the same works as Jesus, which then become greater works because we're operating by the Spirit of Jesus. So what is our helper like? What is the Holy Spirit like? If you want to ask the question, what is God like, whether you mean God the Father or God the Spirit, you look to Jesus, because he's another of the same kind. So the Holy Spirit is just like Jesus. He comes alongside of us. He sits us down and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm making a place for you. This is not the end. He picks us up. He dusts us off. If you remember my illustration from a couple weeks ago, he's like my old coach, Harold, who would never yell at us on the baseball field, but he'd pick us up and he'd say, all right, son, be strong. You can do this. And this is what the Holy Spirit is like. So it makes perfect sense for Jesus to say in verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace, my peace I give to you. The same peace that the Lord Jesus has given to us is the same peace that we have because we've been what? Adopted into the family of God our Father and we now have his spirit indwelling in us. And that's the reality of who we are and what life in God is meant to be. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for uh, your spirit being with us even as we work our way through th this teaching that you gave your disciples and by virtue of the scriptures, us. And we, we, thank you that, we thank you that we have these scriptures to know you by and for your Holy Spirit to work through. And so we ask that as we go from here, you would you Holy Spirit indwelling us would encourage us to come back to the word over and over and over so that we might grow in knowing who we are in you and knowing that we are adopted as your sons and your daughters. And we thank you for that reality. Jesus, we thank you for, for dying on the cross in our place, that your blood purchased for us the, the beautiful relationship we now have with God our Father. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would uh, fill us as you do in the unique way when we gather and you would empower us to go out and live on mission with you in this world as you make all things new. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to invite you to stand and uh, we're going to close our kind of public service. And those of you who have joined us online, we're glad that you were with us this morning. Uh, but after we kind of go offline, we're going to have another little section of our time together where we take communion and Bob is going to lead us in that. And so for those of you in the room, just want to encourage you to uh, after I give the benediction, there'll be a couple minute countdown on the screen and you can kind of uh, just make your way back into this room and we kind of form a big circle and take communion together and have a few prayer requests 
together as well. So this is, as we leave those of you who are online and any of you who uh, are not ready to participate in communion with us today, that's totally fine. And so uh, this is the the benediction we have from the book of Numbers that we have kind of made into a little tradition to read uh, together before we go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.